Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. Today, I'm talking to Brian Zerakowski. He, until recently, was the CEO of Bearmetrics, a pretty well-known bootstrap company that was acquired by a private equity firm a few years ago. Brian took over as the CEO after that and had quite a few things to deal with. He was building trust with an existing team and he had to survive a few very intense shitstorms at dealing with a tanking economy There was a lot going on. Today, you'll hear a rare perspective from the other side of indie hacking, how acquired businesses are run, keep running, and what you can do to make that easy and make your own business more sellable in the process and just how judgmental the founder community can be. A quick thank you to our sponsor here at this point, Acquire.com. More on that later. And now here's Brian. Enjoy. Brian, you took over as the CEO of Paymetrics. After Josh Pickford sold the business in 2020, I guess, you ran the business. You made several significant changes. And I guess we'll talk about a couple of those too. And now you've left your position as CEO a few weeks ago. And that's quite the journey. Can you give a quick introduction into what Bearmetrics is, how you found your way into that company, and what you've been doing there until just a few weeks ago? Of course. Yeah. And thanks for having me, by the way. Uh, um, of course. <laughs> so Bearmetrics is a SaaS analytics platform. It's where you go to plug all of your data, all of your SaaS data in. We have, a, or had, because I'm not there anymore. Um, uh, they have uh, a number of different integrations. Usually it's going to be Stripe, so you can plug all of your Stripe data in. And the point of Bear Metrics is to give you an interface so that you can make good inferences on what's actually happening behind the scenes of each of your individual customers and, and what they're doing. I came to Bear Metrics by way of, well, actually, I'll have to back up a little bit. So um, many or a couple of companies prior, I founded a company called Team Password, uh, which was a password manager for teams. Uh, I'm not exactly a branding genius, but it got, it got the job <laughs> done. Um, and um, I ran that nights and weekends for about two years. Then I went, it kind of grew to having enough customers that I could go full time on it. I did that for about five years. And I'm happy to, we can kind of reverse and talk about this more. But kind of the short story there is like, I thought that running it part time, it was growing at a certain speed. I assumed that going full time on it was going to grow at, that speed times like uh, probably times a million was was my you know subconscious expectation, um, but it didn't. It, that wasn't the case. I think it grew a little bit faster, but really like everything that I tried to do to grow the business didn't really work. It just kind of slowly grew over time. Um, and if you zoomed out on my chart, uh, my MRR chart, um, you wouldn't have really been able to tell what I was doing at all. <laughs> so I made the decision to sell the business. Uh, I decided that in. Um, I don't remember what year it was. We can go back and add years. Um, but, you know, it was like basically like January 1, I was like, all right, I'm going to sell the business. Um, I did that until February 28th. I had sold the business. So I actually went through a lightning fast yeah. sales process, DD, everything, finding the buyer, um, which that was actually crazy. Uh, at the time, I didn't think it was because I was inexperienced and I didn't mm -hmm. know how long this stuff takes. Um, and so I'm like, okay, cool. Pretty, pretty normal stuff. <laughs> I worked at that acquiring company. It was a business at the time. It was called Jungle Disk. Uh, they're now called Cyber Fortress. Um, I worked there for two years as their director of products. So I went from running just my business to running a portfolio of products, like about five different products. Um, they sold my company, Team Password, to the private equity firm called Xenon mm -hmm. um, about six to nine months before I joined them. So I kind of got introduced to the team there. 
Uh, and then I was chatting with them and they're like, hey, we're buying this other business. I didn't actually know what business it was. They, they're like, we're buying a business. We think you'll be great for it. Um, and at the time I was like, sure, great. <laughs> Uh, it's like, I probably should have asked more questions. Um, but my goal going into that was, you know, I, I had the experience running my own business. Then I had the experience running a portfolio of products. And then it was like, okay, cool. Well, I want to sort of see what it's like with multiple companies growing. And I kind of, I'd always kind of heard of the private equity playbook. That was something that was very, uh, interesting and mysterious and appealing to me. Um, and I want to just get like a higher velocity experience of like, what is it like to grow a business that's larger? What is it to, I was a, at a director position at the other company. What would it be like to be in charge? And um, that was kind of the thing that was promised to me as I joined the business. They were like, yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Um, and uh, at the point in time, and at that point in time, what I thought learning a lot was going to look like was like somebody sitting me down and walking me through, like, here's how you solve this problem. Here's how you solve this problem. And in reality, it was more like, all right, we're going to put just a huge number of intractable problems in front of you. And you're just going to have to like barrel through them, you know, head first. And so, um, so yeah, I learned a lot. Um, So that's kind of the quick arc from founding my own business all the way through, all the way through to at least joining bare metrics. Well, thanks for that. It's it's funny because you know the the entrepreneurial approach is you know there's there's going to be problems. I'm going to have to face it. But thinking that you will get some like masterful guidance and then people just kind of throw even more problems at you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty much like entrepreneurship, right? <laughs> yeah, that's just for what, sure. what that. Yeah, that's funny. Um, but uh, very interesting because to me, honestly, as a founder, it, it never crossed my mind to escape like beyond running my own business as a founder right it's it's uh, the the path that you chose i guess being kind of acquired into another business and then figuring out that oh i can actually do something else with my leadership skills and with my my ceo experience and and going through the portfolio and then going to the other side this is something that i think most people who are building software businesses or generally indie businesses, they don't have experience in at all. Right? They, they come mostly from a technical background, not from a managerial background. And even if they come from that background, they don't have like the, the kind of overarching director of product experience. So it's really nice to, to hear from you here today about all of these things. And I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions about the journey with Bearmetrics, I guess, and then, you know, wh- where it ended and where it's going to go in the future. But we'll get to that later, you know, okay. historically yeah. correct. We're going to go, go chronologically here, I guess. Yep. Um, I, I think it's just, it's just super exciting to think because uh, I cannot imagine what it is like to come into a company that was just acquired to replace the original founder. How, how did that feel? Honestly, that this is, I, I know this is a wishy washy kind of question, but I, I no. want to know because entrepreneurship to most of us is such a, dear to our heart kind of thing. How did it feel to come into a business that somebody else has built? For sure. Yes, it's very, it's very strange. Um, and I love talking about the feelings too. I always said, I always joked if I ever wrote like a business book, it'd be like, no one told me there were going to be feelings. That would be like, the <laughs> that was like, because it's like 90% feelings as it turns out. But yeah, it's a very, it's a very strange experience on a multiple different, multiple different fronts. So yeah, certainly, and it, it, didn't help that Josh is such a popular and well-loved member of the community. So, you know, there was kind of like, there's, there's always pressure, right? Like if you start your own business or even just like if you're, I was going to say working a regular job and that sounds derogatory, but like, you know, if you're just like working at a tech company or whatever, if you are I'm sure if you're like a mechanic, there's always some aspect of like, Hey, you have to like fix, got to fix the cars. Good. Like that's like, that's the pressure that's on you. So. 
but it felt like in this case that that was a it, the pressure was heightened um, from multiple different angles. So one, yeah, it's like you're kind of filling you're filling big shoes, you know, um, you know, and also the person whose shoes you're filling is an active member of the community. So in some way, it's like you know, like dating somebody's ex, you know, that's still in your friend group. It's like okay, like you know, I have a duty to myself and to the team, uh, to the private equity firm, you know, kind of to the ownership. Um, but you also have a responsibility to the person who spent their life building this thing, which I kind of maybe had an, a, an increased sense of because I had built my business and I had sold my business to somebody else. And I saw someone else making decisions for my business. And I think I did a pretty good job at that point of, you know, having a sense of separation of like, that's not my business anymore. Um, but I still know what that feels like to be like, it still happens that I saw uh, some, they changed a feature in team password. I'm like, Ooh, I don't, I don't know about that one fellas. Like um, the, I, I, it was really like, I know that's going to come back to bite you for this following reason, but that might be wrong anyway. So, yeah. So I think that that is like, there's certainly a lot of pressure on you from that perspective. And then I think it's also, it was also a novel experience for me coming in as the leader of a business that had been in motion for like nine years previously. And so it's really, a, I found it to be quite challenging, quite difficult to jump in, begin operating the business while at the same time trying to triage and understand where did we need to spend our attention most? Um, and, and, uh, how do we need to kind of prioritize, you know, rebuilding the team, um, focusing on the product and on support and success and marketing and sales and kind of all these things together? What did our operations look like? Um, and also just, you know, again, it's an, it's a operating business. It's a, it's a business that's growing. Um, and you want to grow it faster. So you can't, it wasn't like I could just join for a year and kind of sit and observe it and be like, okay, cool. Now I know everything. The reality was it is like uh, the first like full time day that I was at Bear Metrics, I was on sales calls and I was talking to customers and I was getting out there and uh, I did not know the product fantastically well at that point. It was my first day, but I was able to lean back on my experience of like, okay, well, I know what it is to grow a SaaS business and I know what it is to be in this space. And so... Um, I guess in retrospect, I feel pretty bad about whoever I took those initial, <laughs> I should actually probably go and look at my calendar to see like, who did I take those calls with and like apologize that I probably didn't give them the most accurate information. I probably gave them a lot of, you know, I'll look into that and follow back up with you. Um, but I, I did lean on like, okay, well, what is, what's your goal? What are you trying to achieve? And what are you, what are you doing today? Kind of the, the traditional, you know, foundational questions that you can ask anybody about what they're doing and, and how they might be a good fit for your product. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of what, what's the phrase, you know, kind of like building, building the plane while it's flying yeah. or whatever, some, some phrase along those lines. Um, and, but also everybody's watching you do it. Right. So yeah, you know, so that, that's kind of, uh, yeah, I found it to be, um, I found it to be quite challenging. It was pretty, it was a pretty tough situation. Certainly sounds quite challenging. Like not only do you have to understand the business, you also have to kind of integrate into the existing team and into a group of people that have known each other and the guy who's now missing, you know, like the, the founder that has been yep. replaced for a while. How was that? Was, was it a challenge in itself or did it just add up to the other challenges that were already going on around you? Yeah. I, 
I don't know, be interesting to talk to some of the people because most of the people that were at the Bear Metrics team at the time of acquisition are like, uh, uh, basically all of them are at other businesses now. They're still in the community. So it'd be very interesting to ask some of them what they think. My thought is that that was one of the, one of the easier parts. Um, I'm, I kind of like, I like people. <laughs> I'm interested in them. Um, and it also kind of comes from my background too, of like, I don't, I was coming there to learn as well. And I was coming to experience that, you know, and I was, I was coming to make improvements and, you know, I'd like to, I'd hope to think that my heart was in the right place. And so joining the business, it wasn't, it wasn't a mechanism of like, Hey, I'm this smart guy coming in to like, tell you everything that you're doing wrong. Uh, it was like, Hey, like I'm here now to learn and to bring my wealth of experience, but I very much respect everything that you've done. I have a lot of appreciation for everybody that's here. I think that we've done, you know, from my perspective, looking at the outside, we've done like 95% of things right. So, you know, as I try to ramp up as quickly as possible, it was important for me to be like, hey, like you, everybody here is awesome. Like everybody here, every, everybody here rules until we prove otherwise. Um, and that was like largely the case. I would say like the vast majority of people were, you know, at the top, top of their top of their class or whatever. That's not a great analogy. But um, so I, I didn't find that to be very difficult. Um, and I think that again, it would be it'd be very funny for you to like talk to, you know, reference check this and talk to them and be yep. like, oh yeah, Brian, <laughs> when he came in, he was awful. Like I hated yeah. working with him. But I would suspect more often than not, they would probably say something like, Yeah, like I really enjoyed working with Brian. I really appreciate what he had to do. I just didn't agree with, you know, we were we went from being a independently like a private tech company into a private equity owned business and there's necessarily differences because of the structure of how that how that works and uh, so that's what i think that most of them would say but again it would be very funny for you to be like oh yeah brian is like totally delusional like he's like nobody 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 liked him <laughs> he was very unpopular in his time there wow. It, uh, certainly, uh, what I remember the the process of of the sale, I, I kind of followed along as it happened. It was pretty much a public thing anyway, because yeah. you know Josh blogged about it on the company blog, and it's still there. It's uh, the the post of him selling is still up there, and uh, so are many new posts that happened since. And I remember like he he paid a lot of attention to getting his employees compensated, right? Getting their yeah. their options paid out, and he, I think for out of the the four million that he sold it for, three hundred k went to his employees. So he he took care, and he wanted to take care of people in the business of course there was always uh the, the hacker news back backlash of well you know, any any sale any activity uh, there's, there's sure. something happening on hacker news but fr from what i knew he, he really wanted his employees to, to be well treated and i would assume that you you treated them well but uh, the, the thing that i really want to know because you just mentioned this right the alignment between what a, a privately owned and a private equity owned business like the, the kind of yeah, slight difference in alignment there. What were the things that you immediately wanted to change about the business when you went into it? Like what things that other people hadn't thought about did you immediately go for? I don't know to what degree that nobody had thought about some mm -hmm. of the things. Some of it, I and I, I don't know to the degree that Josh talks about this stuff, but I think he was kind of ready to like move on by the end. And so I think that some of the things that I'm about to say shouldn't be construed as like these are like huge insights that Josh had no idea about but he might have been like yeah I just don't want to I don't want to deal with it. So I'll give a couple of examples. So um 
one, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about pricing and, and monetization and things like that. But like one thing is that when you're, uh, Bear Metrics operates off of MRR tiers. Um, and so the more money you make, the more money we charge you. And that's got a lot of people like that. And probably more people hate it. Um, but most people hate anything where they have to pay more money. Um, I, I, For the record, I think that's like a, a really great model for the business because it allows you to charge a very small amount to the smaller businesses. And then kind of, if you're doing your job at Bear Metrics, we should be helping you grow. And, and um, you know, you should feel like we're a part of that journey for you. Uh, if you feel like you're growing despite bare metrics, then it feels predatory. And I, I understand that. Um, but one of the things is that when you upgraded from one plan tier to the next, you had to kind of like go through a process to kind of like approve that change. You had to be like, yes, I formally like agree that I am now in this new plan tier, which is like a very nice, kind thing to do. Um, but the fact of the matter is like 30% of people just never click the button that says like, I accept. And so they just, and there was no, like, they just kept using the product. So there's like a bunch of like little things like that. It's like, well, when we upgrade, we should upgrade. Um, one other thing, and I'll kind of just drop this as a quick note. I'm relatively confident we'll, we'll circle back to that. But we introduced call to cancel, which was mm -hmm. very unpopular. And everybody hated that. Um, yeah, I tweeted about it too. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think there were, there, were, <laughs> there were one or two tweets about that, I think. Uh -huh. um, maybe three. I don't, maybe four. I don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe a couple. Maybe 5,000. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe 5,196. <laughs> um, no. Um, so... So we, we, maybe we can circle back that. That might be a longer conversation. But even things like really just kind of going across every team and kind of figuring out like what are the what are the opportunities here? Um, how can we improve the business operationally? Um, so that's like what are we doing in marketing and how can we do like what's working, what's not working? How can we do more of what's working and um, obviously how can we do less of what's not working? Um, when we bought the business, there was one person in marketing and they were they were focused um, basically exclusively on content. So, okay, cool. And Bear Metrics has always had great content. So we did a ton of experimentation there from um, things like, well, what if we did like a ton of content? What if we, what if we like generated content even before the AI? world um and then like what do we look like on social what do we look like in paid what do we look like in all these so kind of just like taking that one team and then splitting that out like we were just in content let's kind of branch out into everything else let's get on g2 let's get on you know it's kind of like let's start to build out the roadmap of how we can begin doing experimentations to find additional growth channels for the business uh, Bear Metrics never had anybody that was like a dedicated salesperson. So we hired a, hired a sales team and we kind of went through that process of like, what would it look like if you had somebody who was dedicated to you as you signed up to understand what your goals were and help you get the most out of the tool? And how would that affect your conversion rate? And how would that improve retention of, you know, if you came in and we knew for a fact day one that your goal was to reduce your churn from 7% to 4%. Well, that's something we can rally around and we can, you know, we can help you work on that. And we can, in, you know, this team's spare time, we can look at your account and figure out ways to help you do that or find insights for you. Um, then, you know, technically, how are we doing? We, we, we went through a couple of things like we, we had to uh, replace the Stripe API that we were using. Uh, we could no longer use for new customers. So we had to replace that. Uh, we also migrated our hosting, which was kind of like a much larger pain in the ass than I think anybody anticipated it was going to be. Uh, in retrospect, we should have anticipated that it was going to be a gigantic pain in the ass, and we should have planned for that accordingly. Um, and then we also just kind of 
over time, because the team had focused in a lot of different areas, we just kind of had like a backlog of bugs that were like, you know, one of the challenges with running a business like Bear Metrics is that like when I ran Team Password, if you had a bug, the bug would be like, if somebody tries to save a password or a note with like a Unicode character or whatever, a non-Unicode character, um, it would break. And the reason that it would break is because of the way the encryption works and that character wouldn't work. So we have to either, whatever, we have to figure out a solution for that. We can write a test. I can write a solution for that and then deploy it. And then it's fixed for everybody. Because Bare Metrics is so data-driven, the problem that you're experiencing might literally only exist in your account. So it's like, because you are, especially working with Stripe, there's so many p- ways that you can change your data and you can have you can have discounts at the customer levels. You can have discount at the invoice level, at the invoice item. You can have you know, discounts at the product level. You can have, you can have coupons. You can have dollar off, percent off, whatever. So you just kind of run into this multifactorial situation where we, we just accumulated this huge backlog of like issues that were really like only one account you know, specific. And that bug backlog was kind of like ever growing. So that was like a huge thing of like, when you sign up for bare metrics, you need to trust us for your data. And if the first thing that happens is you see something that's wrong, we have like, effectively like 45 seconds to fix that before you're like, no, I'm not going to trust this, even if whatever, even if we can explain it away, we need to bring a resolution to that. So that was another thing of like, hey, how do we put ourselves in a spot where um, I don't think we ever quite got to 45 second resolution time, but how can we get to the point where we're not in a spot where the bug backlog is ever growing and kind of all these weird edge casey things are happening? How do we make the big picture improvements so that bugs are less edge casey and they can be kind of more concentrated? Um, and so we can make changes that will improve a series of issues that might happen. Uh, and then how do we just like have like we hired two engineers who for the past two years have just gotten through the bug backlog and just have fixed like everything to the point where uh, right as I was exiting, they're like, yeah, they're like, bugs are done. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, bugs are done. We're through with the bugs. Like, awesome. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really cool. great. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that answers the question. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. lot of different things in a lot of different areas, but it's kind of just, uh, I think a lot of it's just bringing a new set of energy in. And then also, like I mentioned, kind of, there is like the the kind of playbook approach of like, hey, here are the here are the characteristics of high performing businesses. We are going to deploy those practices here, and then you need to see if they work or they don't work, or what changes you have to make in order to have success with that for your business that has your product that has your customers. Were there any existing processes or, or strategic? planning systems in the business that were completely incompatible with this new playbook that you brought in you know coming from the the bootstrapping or you know mostly bootstrapped uh, perspective into a more you know growth oriented world i don't i don't think uh, i'm trying to think back i don't think there was anything that was like i mean i don't know like, i guess it just depends on how you think about it right like the fact that we want all of our customers to like opt into an upgrade versus just being moved to the new plan. Like, I mean, you can make the argument that that's kind of like yeah. two different worldviews. It's kind of like some, I don't know, I feel pretty good about that change, but you know, it's like, it'd be like, you know, like, like um, Slack doesn't charge you for inactive members and things like, and that's kind of like a product mentality. I think certainly the call to cancel change was like totally, it's not like that. I guess that that's like very antithetical to the mentality of the business previously. And they want, 
you know, sign up should be super easy and simple, and then exiting should be exactly the same way. And in fact, we flipped both of those. We turned sign up. So now that we do have people that are hired to help you do that, and you, there is, you know, white glove onboarding if you want to do that. And we do have a success team that will check to make sure that we're fulfilling our promises. So we've, we added stuff to the front end to make it more hands on to go in. And then we added things to make it hands on when you left. Um, so yeah, I would say that's pretty, n- not like it, it doesn't like run against like a process, but I do think it's like a mentality. Like there were just mentality changes that happened from when the business was run before to when it was when yeah. my, my era of the business. Okay. Well, yeah, like Josh had this whole no fuss thing going on, right? He just wanted it to be as simple as possible. And honestly, I think most indie hackers who want to build products that they can run as solopreneurs, they're just going to have this default no fuzz approach to anything because yeah. the moment fuzz is involved, you cannot solopreneur it anymore, right? You right. need help, yep. you need other people. The moment yep. you need a sales team, the moment you need a, a de- dedicated uh, customer service team or anything like that, you, you don't have your business anymore, your lifestyle business that you want to build. So I think that an- antithetical to that definitely is a more hands-on approach. But honestly, let's maybe talk about call to cancel because I I, if, if I if I could go back in time with what I know today, I would probably think about it uh, less vitriolically. You know, like I would be less aggressive yeah. about my perspective on this because the moment you started actually publicly talking about it, you did uh, a whole lot of, um, I guess, a couple of videos where you talked both about your price increase. That was a thing, right? Yeah. And the, uh, the the call to cancel thing and how you tried it out, what data you got from it, why you did it. I found in retrospect, it made some sense, right? It, it was still maybe not what I would have liked, particularly as a customer at the time. But, you know, it, it, it was something that from a business owner's perspective made a lot of sense, which, which is why I would like you to, to share your, your reasoning behind making your customers call to cancel a product that they didn't have to call to sign up for. Yeah. Sounds like you still might be a little bit frustrated about no, that. No, but. Really, I, I, I'm sorry <laughs> that's, if that's. that's I'm just, I, I just wanted no, no. to describe the the actual. Yeah. Like, there's a European law about this too, yes. right? There's this whole thing with you cannot be more complicated in, in canceling than in signing up. But there was a there was a good business reason for you to do it, and I just sure. want to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm so, I'm just poking fun a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there was a couple of reasons for it, and. I think in just to kind of address like the like controversial aspect of it, I think that's like, there's no way to look at that. Not a hundred percent on me, especially hearing you say, well, Hey, once you kind of got into it more then I understood, or it made sense. And like, you know, it wasn't, I understand. I don't, you don't have to agree with the outcome, but you understood the path to get there. And you kind of, you could conceptually understand and, and appreciate why we were there. And so, you know, I think that there's no way to kind of hear that without being like, well, the deployment of that was totally bungled. The communication on that was like, could not have been handled worse because it's like it, once it got down the road, then you're like, okay, I understand it now. That means it was understandable. And it had, had I handled it better up front, I suspect a lot of the frustrations could have been, um, could have been negated. Um, So yeah, the, the real purpose for doing call to cancel was there's, there's two things. So one, again, I'm coming in as somebody who's jumping into the plane mid-flight, um, and 
every customer touch point is like critical, especially people who are canceling. Like the most important thing for me to know as a leading indicator of like where we're going is like, why are people leaving? And so we used our own product, Cancellation Insights, and we allowed people to say why they were leaving. But I don't know, maybe, maybe it's also just a function of like, I don't know enough about the business to be like, when somebody says like, oh, I had that one bug, like maybe the previous team, maybe Josh would have read that and be like, oh yeah, the one bug. Like, I understand why that is. I don't know what the one bug is. So there was a big part of it for me to be like, how can I learn as quickly as possible? Like what's going on? How can I have conversations with people? Um, and how, how can we kind of like, that, that should be like the biggest input for like, what do we decide to do moving forward? I think there was a perception that, you know, it's like a win back exercise. Um, and that happened literally once the whole time I was doing it. And I didn't even, I didn't even ask for it. It was somebody was like, I think the, the person was just so frustrated and so angry that after he kind of like yelled at me for 30 minutes about like how much of an idiot I was, he kind of like got it. He got it all out of his system. And then he was like, okay, well, we can try this again. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it turned my account back on and we can, we can make it happen. So, you know, that was, that was really like the primary reason why we did it. Um, and it was like a crucial learning point. And we did learn a lot. Um, surprisingly, most customers were, so nobody liked it. Nobody, nobody enjoyed having to do it. But the majority of people would have a conversation on the way out. Uh, and the vast majority of those conversations were very useful and very thoughtful and very insightful. And again, it's kind of like your mileage may vary depending on the type of business that you're running, but running a SaaS-based analytics platform for SaaS companies, like for us to get feedback from other SaaS businesses on, you know, our customers are just very articulate. Be like, hey, well, here is, you know, here is what I was expecting and here is what I saw. And then here is, from my perspective, the delta between those two things. And here are three recommendations of ways that I would have solved this. And if this was done by this date, I would have stayed. It's like, great. (laughs) Just like, and that's more than anybody's ever going to type into a text box. Um, but you know, so if you're running a different type of business, you you know, you might not get as good of feedback as we got, but that was really the major thing. We also kind of had this minor track of like us detaching from your Stripe account. There were kind of like technical things and turn off things and exports and other kind of tactical things that like made a lot of sense. Like we had customers who still had webhooks connected to us. Um, like their Stripe webhooks were going through bare metrics. And then we had some sort of like DNS issues. And then that caused non-customers of ours to um, have their payments fail, which I don't really quite know the mechanism for that. But um, I don't know why, like, it's probably a part of a flow. Anyway, so like, they were like, super pissed at us. I'm like, Oh, well, we need to like, you have to go into your cloud account and click X. Um, and then we also, um, we have bare metrics has an API. So there was a period of time where we looked, I think we got like, it's like, like 1.5 million API requests to all endpoints from non-customers, <laughs> which is kind of a spooky thing of like, oh, well, they're sending us like customer data. We have no contract with them. We have no business relationship with them. Uh, we're paying to like return 200, okay, because we, we don't want to return a non-200 status code in case that breaks their software that this, you know, charge customer returned non-200. Um, so there are all those kind of like, it's kind of like a cornucopia of technical issues. And I think at the time, we were more upfront with those technical things because that was more painful for us because we had just gone through 
having customers be, or non-customers be furious with us that their payments aren't going through because of us. And that felt very raw. But I really think that the real, the real reason, and I think the thing that, to your point, the thing that actually resonated better with people is like, we have to know, we need to have an under, we need to have a conversation. Um, and we're not trying to save you. We're not trying to keep you as a customer. In fact, it, like, again, it's only, I mean, maybe it's happened more than once. And I think we've had people come back after the fact. Um, but the, you know, the number of people that you save, like transactionally in that call is like one. Well, it's actually the number is one. I was going to say zero, but I just told you it's one. Um, so I, I don't think we were, or I, I don't, I don't think, and I know that we were not clear enough in the communication around that. And I don't think, I don't think I was honest with myself. And I, I maybe I, I almost internally thought like, well, the fact that I need to learn, like, is that really someone else's issue? Is that our customer's issue that I need to learn and I need to build our roadmap? And like, but, um, I don't know, I guess I'm at peace with it now. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, it's not the case that I'm going to know everything coming in here. Uh, I think it's important for everybody to do it, do something like this. Or I, I saw, um, on tech Twitter, uh, someone was talking about going white glove for their signup. Like you can't, you can't self, uh, self-serve signup. You have to talk to somebody. I think doing these things periodically are like super useful. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that that was, that's kind of the whole situation <laughs> in a, in a, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you learned two things or two kinds of things. First off, you learned how not to communicate something <laughs> to your yes. community. <laughs> learned what not to do yes. and what not to do. But you also learned the actual thing you set out to learn, which is, I guess, the price you pay, right? The price, the price you always pay as an entrepreneur is extra learning. It just uh, depends on how painful it is right. or yeah. how useful it is at the same time. I, I, I do wonder, um, because you were effectively competing with uh, several solutions in the same space. And one of them, um, I, I had Patrick Campbell on the show and we were yeah. talking about ProfitWell. And I think ProfitWell was always kind of the the free alternative version to Metrics that everybody used. I, I remember personally from my own experience building a SaaS, I had Metrics. We paid a $180 a month or something at some point. And we used ProfitWell at the same time. And we used uh, ProfitWell for the ProfitWell stuff, and we used Permetrics for the really good Permetrics stuff that ProfitWell didn't have. And it, it was it was kind of, of almost the same, but it wasn't. Right? Mm-hmm. There was there was a clear distinction between the two. So I guess what what most people that were in the industry and were doing the exact same thing using the free product, obviously, why wouldn't you? And the product that you pay for for the extra things. They were, were like, they were feeling, oh, wow, they're, they're really trying to, to keep, keep us paying customers there, even though there is a free alternative. Right. I think it's just, you know, this, this sure. mix of, of sentiments and expectations that you, uh, that you have in a community. And, and I would argue, uh, and I wonder if you agree with that, that these expect, expectations are so, um, they're so subtle and they're so non-communicable. But in, by any leadership that may be leaving the company, like, or the, the Josh being, having it being acquired, like, that is something you have to learn by just feeling it, right? Going back to feelings here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it'd be very, when you go through like a due diligence process to understand a business and as you're buying it, there's like, you know, like 500 pages of documentation. You know, there's a there's a whole Google Drive that's created to store all of this stuff. And I think it would be difficult to get like a customer sentiment analysis. I mean, that's actually not a, terrible idea but i think it'd be very difficult because you can only cover so much and you know also just being founder friendly you need to like you need to be like at some point hey this is our lesson to learn um and i even think if josh was like hey don't ever do 
self-serve cancellations, we might have been like, well, we're going to try anyway. You know, it's yeah, like, right. uh, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to give it a shot. I do think that it's very interesting that there's two different audiences as well. So I think that there was the, and I, I understand the frustration all around. And I, I also received that, that frustration. So I, I think I do have a really good understanding. But yeah, I think from the bare metrics customers, people who are using the product, I totally get that like everybody's busy. And like having to do this extra thing for this product that I no longer want to use, it's like, hey, like I'm moving away from this because it doesn't meet my need or it's buggy or because like I just don't feel like using it or it's like we thought it was going to be a good idea, but we just don't, whatever. Like your to-do list as a founder or somebody that's in a leadership position with a with a tech company is like, you have a million things to do. Like talking with Brian for 15 minutes on a Tuesday is not on the list. Yeah. That's you know, right. this is like investing time in something that is not going to, you don't think it's going to move your business forward. Yeah, that's so I ask, I, right? You, yeah, you ask absolutely. Them. It's a huge ask. It's, you know, asking for their time is, is, is huge. There's also the community of people who were not customers and who are just like conceptually mad. Like, just like, um, which is <laughs> like a harder. Armchair founders. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, and maybe they're founders that weren't bare metrics customers or people that just felt it was, um, morally incorrect to do. Um, one of the things that I found, and this was like a very, it's not a piece of experience that I expected to get, but, but being kind of what Josh calls, you know, I was like the main character of the internet for, mm -hmm. for the day, yep. uh, especially with the consideration that like our call to cancel thing, like we're like, hey, like I'll put like my picture up there. It's like, you're going to talk to me. This is not like whatever. <laughs> and so like my, my picture was like, you know, like, like 4,000 tweets of like, hey, look how yeah. dumb this guy's face is. Um, <laughs> But like one of the, the observations I had is that, and this is, I don't say this to, um, uh, to, to minimize like anything, but I realized that a lot of people were just having fun. Like they're just doing the drama thing. They're just like, this is like whatever unpopular chain when Coinbase is like, Hey, like whatever, no, um, politics here or whatever. Like they were like, I think that was actually around the same time. I think that actually took heat off of me was Coinbase was like, Hey, no more politics. And people were like, Oh, these guys are idiots and I can't believe it. And you know, whatever. Um, I would go through the replies, which, you know, or, or the messages, which I don't think was actually a healthy thing to do at the time. But then I realized something, Oh, they're, they're just having fun. Like, this is just like, like it's an entertainment, right? Yeah. Destroying me. And like, and this was like also over uh, the, the, one of the big, waves was over Christmas. So I'm like sitting there, uh, you know, Christmas day, watching the family open presents. And like, I, you know, it's like 85 new notifications. <laughs> I look again, Oof. you know, 300 new notifications. And, you know, you know, I would, I was trying to learn from that. I was trying to, uh, manage the emotions of that. Um, but you know, I would follow some people. If, if I thought somebody made a good point of like, I'll follow them. And then it's like, you saw just like, I saw firsthand how quickly they moved on to the next thing. Like yeah. this was not, this was not a durable concern for them, you know, for the first audience, for our customers, like, and the people that we should actually care the most about, not that you shouldn't care about other people in the world or whatever, but, you know, for the people who are actually legitimately affected by it, I think that audience was much more understanding. And, um, you know, that was the audience that like, in fact, it's like the only group of people that I could actually do something for. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, we had this secondary, much larger group, uh, much angrier group of people that, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it's probably something you know a lot more about of kind of more, you know, building with a community and kind yeah. of like, it's not just about what you do. It's kind of like not even necessarily 
what you say about what you do, but there's like, you kind of have to go to the third level of like, what is the perception yeah. of, you know, once it, it's going to go into somebody else's brain and yeah. then they're going to process it. And so you kind of almost need to, well, you can choose not to worry about that, uh, which is probably the same thing to do. But, you know, that's also kind of another level of complexity. Uh, it kind of goes back to your initial question of like, hey, Josh was so open, so in public that that was kind of, ingrained in the DNA of bare metrics. So it's to some extent, not a surprise that something like this, it was probably going to happen at some point in time, unfortunately. Yeah. When, when things happen in public, reactions tend to be very public too, right? And Josh was very public with things leading up to this and people either expected it or they just happily went after it because it was such a, I mean, it, it was easy to rally against because from a customer perspective, it's a nuisance. Obviously, yep. from a business perspective, it makes perfect sense. Sure. And the weird part is that most, or if not all, of Biometrics customers are businesses, or at least, you know, like founders yep. or people that are close to, to, to the things that matter in business. So there, there was, I think that made, made it also so juicy for people because they understood not only, okay, this is something that, um, that bothers this person for some reason, but this is a behavior that I might also in the future want to take. And now I'm going to see that I'm, I'm going to see somebody else experiment with it, right? It's kind of an observation of somebody else's experience. It's kind of like watching people fail at play video games on Twitch, right? right? Like, you yeah, know, yeah. these, these kind of uh, dark souls games where people die sure. all the time and yep. the joy is to watch them die in many different ways. That's right. kind of what you experienced, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I got to be one of those, one of those deaths for. <laughs> <laughs> for a period of time you died yeah yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. here's here's the thing building in public that's just going to happen and you're, you're absolutely right there are so many layers that whenever you think about what did i do how did i communicate it how was it perceived how do i now react to the perception of what i did and how i communicated it you can go into these infinite kind of epicycles of of trying to figure stuff out in the end the best way to deal with it is really just to let it pass through and wait for coinbase or or a base camp to do something whatever else. the next thing right, whatever yeah. the next thing is so yeah. I, I guess you you dealt with that pretty well and and that brings me to to the question that pulls us more into the the now sure or rather the a couple of weeks ago because you did something else in public you communicated very clearly that you were leaving bear metrics as a ceo yeah. and you did that on twitter which is i i guess it's, it's not unreasonable but after what happened to you before it's an interesting way of asking for it so yeah <laughs> tell, tell me about the maybe not necessarily the twitter thing but just tell me like what happened like why did you leave the company and what and maybe in the end what made you talk about it publicly it's a great question um <laughs> uh it's a thing that you say while you're while you're thinking about the response yeah, so yeah i think that looking back you know my time at Bear Metrics was like incredibly successful, at least at least for me personally, I can say that. You know, the the whole kind of brief for me going there was to get a lot of experience and uh, be exposed to a lot of new challenges and try new stuff. And really, it was this this part wasn't intentional, but I really got to see multiple different ends of the spectrum. So when I ran my business team password, we spent I spent all my time. I actually like became a developer through building that product. So like all my time was spent building the product and I spent no time on sales and marketing. And then I came to Bear Metrics and most of the effort was in sales and marketing. So I kind of got to see like, what is that? What do the opposite ends of those spectrum look like? And then a team password, my pricing was too low. Like our cheapest plan was like seven bucks a month. And it's Oof. like, are you going to trust your business's passwords to something that's like less than your Netflix account? <laughs> um, 
And then, you know, over in Barometrics world, we got, we're like, we're all the way up into premium pricing territory. So we're like all the way on the far right hand side of like, and you know, like what you mentioned before about like, hey, it's like super easy, super transactional, you know, no fuss. That was kind of the team password way. And I got to see like, okay, what would the kind of more white glove approach look like at the Barometric side? So, and you kind of like, you go down the list for basically what does it look like when just I'm the engineer? What does it look like when we have 10 people writing software for, um, for a product? Um, what does it look like when you have technical leadership? What does it look like when I do everything? What does it look like when I have, you know, a team of directors and those directors have direct reports under them? And like, what does like a, that structure look like? So that's all to say that, you know, I kind of got, um, not, and I wasn't like super diligent about this, but I, I, and I think it was more luck than anything else, but I got kind of the exact experience that I was looking for. Um, and out, going over the course of three years, eventually you get to the point where it's like, okay, cool. I'm kind of like doing the same thing over again. I'm doing, you know, kind of not necessarily repeating, but it's kind of like rhyming. And we're kind of like going through, going through that process. So, I mean, that was really, um, that was really the situation of like, I'm like, okay, cool. Um, you know, I've experienced, I've learned not necessarily all that I'm going to learn, but we kind of just got to an inflection point where it's like, okay, I think it makes sense, um, to, to move on. Um, the private equity firm agreed, you know, so I think it's like there, they also going back to what are, what's their structure and they have very specific, financial milestones and their all the governance and what they're expecting to see like they have very strong opinions about what's going on with the company i have strong opinions too um and so i think it just became almost like as a confluence of things like hey i think this is just like the perfect time to be like okay cool i've gotten what i need to get i can make some room um which is like i guess maybe an extremely polite way to put it for saying like okay let's you know um let me step out of the way and then let me kind of for me selfishly to figure out like what that next what's that next level up going to be for me um and then you know let the company kind of go on to potentially a, a new or different trajectory like without me there the capability to have large changes within the company or even just even from a culture perspective like it's just way easier because i'm always going to anchor bare metrics to the Brian way of doing bare metrics. The same way that Josh, like with Josh, if Josh decided to stay on post acquisition, like that would have been way different because like the business is always going to be Josh bare metrics until Josh is no longer there. So it's kind of a, not exactly the same thing. Certainly like my mark on the business is not as nearly as large as, as Josh's is, but um, you know, that's kind of the, the general idea of, okay, like it's kind of like, kind of time. I mean, there's no perfect time to do stuff like this, right? It's, it's not like, um, and this was not like how it was exactly written up, but it felt, it felt good enough and everybody was on board. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Let me kind of step aside and figure out what the next thing is going to be moving forward. Okay. Well, that sounds like you're, you're leaving on good terms, which yep. is, uh, that, that, that's fun. And then that's the best, best way to leave. So what is next for you? I mean, we can talk about what would be next for Bear Metrics for hours, but I'm actually more interested in what's happening in your life. CEO and uh, acquisition and then CEO of another company or, or, and a director role. What, what is going gonna, gonna to be the next thing that you want to do? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> and it may not surprise you to know that I've thought about this too yeah, myself. <laughs> um, I'm still kind of in the phase of seeing what's out there 
you know, I, I think the kind of like the big three paths paths forward for me are one, um, you know, go into PE again. That would be like the easiest, most obvious thing of like joining another firm, being a CEO for one of their businesses, you know, hopefully with kind of material differences so I can continue to learn and and kind of expand my skill set and what I'm what I'm even just the different looks that I'm getting. Um, but you know, the the kind of the pro side there is like, yeah, I'm I would be able to step into basically any CEO role at any tech company owned by a P firm. I do a very good job at that. Um, the downside is that I might just put myself back in the same exact spot that I was before. So it's like, hey, like if I left that, um, you know, it's easy to easy to get to, uh, probably extremely lucrative, but like, you know, there's a higher than average chance that you just put yourself back in the same situation. Uh, and if you're being honest with yourself and you're kind of, you know, you want to, you're being a little bit career ADD and you want to get new things, and you want to kind of move up to the next level, putting yourself back in that same situation may not be the best decision. Or, you know, PE is a class or even like, you know, just, uh, you know, capital allocators in general is a class. So um, there are huge differences between those. So um, I'm not saying there's not an opportunity out there. Uh, actually, I am saying there's an opportunity out there because I'm putting it on my list of things that I might do. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like path one. Path two is like, maybe I join another tech company. Maybe I join a big tech company, I've thought. Um, you know, I've never, I've never worked at a company with more than like 100 people, 200 people before. Like I could experience what that's like. That would be a very different look. Um, be very, uh, I think that'd be extremely, extraordinarily different. Um, but, you know, again, that's almost the downside too of like, that's so different than what I've done before. Um, the likelihood that I find myself in the spot where I'm like, oh, like, I don't get to make all the calls here. I don't get to, you know, do mm -hmm. what I want to do. Uh, that might be a little bit of a frustration, um, but it's still kind of on my list to look around. Uh, number three, start something new. And I think that is, um, that's the one I think that's like the biggest fit overall, you know, long term. Um, but I think that would, uh, introduced the most stress to my wife. I'm like, all right, we're doing it. We're getting back on the road again. Yeah, that's right. um, you know, I, I think that also kind of looking back to my previous experience, I ran, you know, Team Password on the side for two years and let it kind of build up. It kind of de-risked the process. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily, and I also selfishly, I kind of want to enjoy the process. So mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't want to like build something and be like, okay, I have two months to like, prove this out yeah, and so i need right. to get to i need to get to 10k mrr in two months mm -hmm. go like that seems like that would be a very uh stressful and high risk yeah. situation yeah particularly now right yeah like it's uh it's not not the easiest time to start anything and for in a sure session where every business many SaaS businesses struggle it's probably something yep. you've seen both for in sure. your customer metrics and in their metrics totally. own metrics that there's a lot of struggle absolutely right? everybody is terrified and you know we uh, even though we uh, bare metrics does not require you to call to cancel, we still talk to people on the way out. And um, you know, I we, I had one call with somebody. They were like, "Yeah, uh, I need bare metrics to do my job." We they use our recover product for for Dunning, and so they're like, "Yeah, you made us like seventy five thousand dollars last month, and this is really really great." Um, but like the CEO said, we absolutely have to cancel everything, and so like I must cancel this. I don't know how I'm going to do my job uh, after. We cancel it, but we just have to. And so for me, that was like one of the, you know, that's like the conversation that stands out in your mind of like, it's not that we're not delivering value. It's not that, you know, it's just like people are just very concerned right now and very protective of cash flow. 
very, they want to be in a very defensive posture. So yeah, I mean, maybe now is like not the right time to build, or but maybe also it's the perfect I time. I, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think that's exactly right of like, Hey, you know, if you're, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to build something silly in this climate. You're going to build something that's like a real problem that people really have a need for. And you're probably going to go through some number of months of validation and, and, you know, getting initial users and testing, um, you know, and maybe you're comfortable giving the product away for free until you have something that, you know, people indicate that this is not something that we could live without um, before you start figuring out what it's worth. So yeah, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that your turn there is kind of how I feel too. It's like, yeah, you know, this might be a good time, but yeah, I don't know. I, I certainly over this period of time, I want to, um, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I want to build a couple of things and launch a couple of different products just because I didn't do that while I was at bare metrics. So even just to kind of knock the rust off, have a little bit of fun. I've got a bunch of, I have a Trello board full of ideas of different things that have frustrated me or, or things that weren't available. So, um, and I also want to play with, you know, the, the technology world has changed. I'm a, I'm a rails guy. So like rails is like totally different now than it was before. And I played with it a little bit. Um, so yeah, I want to do some of that. Um, <laughs> sounds like, it sounds like you still have that entrepreneurial bug, that builder bug that, that still sure. seems to be very active in you. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, I, I do wonder, um, I, I would assume you have some sort of non-compete for a while uh, leaving that company, but you may or may not be able to talk about it. But regardless of that, you, you can say if that's the case or not, but are there any fields outside of, I would guess, insight-driven, actionable business advice, mm -hmm. which is what I would uh, kind of qualify Barometrics as a business around? Are there any other fields uh, regarding technology or business that you're interested in at this point? Yeah, yeah I have no... No non-compete, no okay. non-disparagement. They they were very very kind to me and very you know well I don't know if that's a function of kindness but uh, you know they were they were it was a very congenial uh, exit so they didn't like uh, I'm not going to get sued for, for talking about anything or okay. um, yeah I think that I was talking to somebody the other day um, actually yesterday about this and and he made a really good point of he was kind of sharing his story and kind of like how he went through all these different angles. And he realized that the thing that he loved was it wasn't about necessarily about industry or like, I don't know. He, he kind of got to this point where he's like, yeah, the thing I realized that I love is like this whole field of like sales enablement because it's a real problem. Um, nobody ever cancels these tools. They're all, I was joking with him. It's like the thing of like, Oh yeah, this thing, like, manages the entire infrastructure for our entire product. It's like $25 a month. <laughs> this is a sales tool that automatically adds note to our CRM. It's mm -hmm. $50 per user per month right. <laughs> paid annually, you right. know? Um, <laughs> so I, I, when he, I'm giving like a pretty poor rendition of what he talked through, but it, that really got my mind spinning of like, what are those kind of fields of like, you know, similar to sales enablement, I've always run into problems through just running the business and being like, you know, what is a frustrating thing to uh, run into? Or that was why I had Team Password. Like I worked at a company where we had a bunch of interns. Those interns would quit all the time. They had access to all these passwords. And so basically like every third Friday, we were, the whole company was like going down a spreadsheet of passwords and changing it. I'm like, man, this, this, this sucks. Um, <laughs> so that was like, that was like the, the, the yeah. entry point there. So, I mean, that's kind of my general mentality of like, as somebody who's run businesses and has run into problems, like what, what do I wish I had? Like what, and, and even, um, 
I'm a big fan of the the product Bento. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. um, and so like I, I just love that mentality of like, well, here's something that's available for a lot of money and it's like super upmarket and it has a ton of like extra features that kind of make these more expensive things worth it, but kind of like not really. So like I'm gonna build like the 80% of the features, or I'm gonna build whatever, maybe the 20% of the features that are gonna give you 80% of the results. I think he probably has more than 20% feature parity. Um, but you know, kind of like, and I'm gonna offer that for like a reasonable price. So like one area that I've thought about is like, um, you know, managing like customer success. I think it's something that's, especially right now, talking about building in this climate, people are very concerned about customers churning, being on top of that, being on top of annual renewals, knowing which customers are going stale, which customers usage are falling off. And all the tools that exist are either like using like a spreadsheet, which which sucks for all the reasons. And, and it's great for all the reasons that that using a spreadsheet is. Um, people are trying to use like sales funnel, like pipeline, you know, management, but success isn't a pipeline. It's not like a straight through and then you're done. It's like, it's this like circular thing that with lots of, you know, inner loops, uh, or you have something like a, like a HubSpot or a Gainsight, which kind of go into that more premium price that, you know, a smaller company will be priced out of. So that to me is something that is like a good shaped problem of like, how do we solve this? Um, how do we, you know, build the supercharger on these smaller teams that are not getting a, not going to get to hire anybody anytime soon. And then how do we like defend, like, can this product defend itself from the perspective of like, Hey, this is valuable to your company. Like you, here is the churn that you were able to save. Here is the, you know, here are the very active users that, you know, or here's people that reactivated basically, you know, it's like a pre-activated, pre-reactivated of like, Hey, don't let them go dormant and try to win them back like do that while they're still paying customer yeah. um that's kind of a good example of like something i thought about a bit and that would be like a good like category of like problem to solve that i'm very familiar with it um i wish i had it and um it's kind of like of the time right now and i could i could i could build that um <laughs> i think anybody i think you know but before this like, podcast ends, <laughs> half the people listening will have built it. But you know, so that's but that's kind of like an example of like yeah. the type of it's not really a specific vertical or industry or anything like that. It's kind of like I guess that's my thesis of like, what do I wish I had when I was doing previous company X? It is it is so interesting to hear you explain your thought process. Thank you for sharing this in such amazing detail because I, I can feel how you have the perspective of a founder from looking at it from I need this for my business and, and the perspective of a business like an operator a CEO like how can I improve these processes within a business just right. not mine but a business mm -hmm. so you have like you have a yeah. nice dual perspective that's an unfair advantage and I, I certainly hope that you can use that uh, unfairly even more <laughs> to your advantage because it, it sounds like you've given this a lot of thought and mm -hmm. if there's one thing that is palpable in, in this description is that you want to get going. Like it's yeah. so noticeable. That yeah, you just want I want to get started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's so funny. I've um I've instituted a rule uh, where I'm going to do one thing a day, mm. um, and that for me, um, when I was at Bear Metrics, I mean, one of the things that's another challenge of running the business that's already in motion is that I would frequently like if I had five to seven meetings a day, that's like a pretty standard day. Like it's just kind of packed. You have a full team, you have multiple things moving. And I think that was frankly a huge failing of mine to try to do too much at once all the time. So now 
one so this is my thing for today nice um and then uh after this you know whatever i'll I'll do i'll watch some tv or whatever (laughs) i want to get if i want to do a little you know study or 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 something like that um and then you know when somebody reaches out to me it's like okay when's the next day and i've i found that it's enough that i don't feel like so i I go to the gym every morning as well i do jujitsu so i like roll around on the ground and i try to choke people and they try to choke me and uh it's it's, somehow it's a very fun thing to do Mm -hmm. um and then, um, you know, and then I do one thing and then that doesn't allow my panic to set in of like, Hey, you're not moving forward, but I'm also finding that I'm making such quick progress on every, it's like, actually like I've had, you know, a bunch of different calls of people that have been like, Hey, well, let's, you know, I'd love to work together. What do you think about, I've been open. And that was another reason to post publicly about it. People are like, well, have you thought about something like this? I'd love to work with you on X. Um, I, I'm you know, we're, we're Friday. I started on Monday and I already have had a great bunch of great conversations. So I'm kind of like, how do I keep this one thing a day? Um, yeah, I even, one of my friends from the gym gave me a, a book, not, not this book, yeah, that's, like that's your it. book, I like but, gave me, but gave me this book, the one <laughs> Ooh, thing. I like that one too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they so, look so similar for some reason. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. I was like, yeah, I got this like cool new idea. I'm just going to do one thing a day. And he's like, you should read this book. I'm like, Oh, what's it called? He's like, the, the one, one thing, thing. <laughs> it's about doing one thing a day. Oh, <laughs> like you're not a, you're not a genius as someone has thought of this before. Or maybe you are and you're just in good company. Be. Maybe I that's the be. case. <laughs> I like, I like that. I like that. Yeah, but yeah, it, it is focus is the miracle drug, right? Like if, if you can focus on it's the thing. So yeah. hard, even, and I've overbooked myself yeah. already on <laughs> yesterday. I had, I think three or four calls. That's um, not one thing. You are precisely <laughs> correct. Yeah, and I said that I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm unemployed. I am, you know, mm-hmm. I'm under no, that, that was, I think it's always easy, especially when you're working under a board or whatever, like, Hey, this, this pressure is coming down on me and yeah. I need to do this, but I have to really look that, you know, square in the face, be like, you are under no obligation. Like there's, and in fact, you can't even get fired for not doing yep. it. You are not employed right now. You know? Right. So it's like, um, so I really have to look at that. Like, that's something that's coming from inside that is, has that tendency to want to fill up and go as fast as possible. Um, but I just told you how nice it feels and how much better. And in fact, even reaching out to you when I got that response to the tweet of like, Hey, well, why don't you talk about some of the lessons that you've learned? If I was slammed back to back, I would have probably just answered in a quick tweet and moved on. But I actually am like, Oh, let me spend some time to think about it. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, Oh, this might be a great conversation. And so that's that this conversation is a direct result of not, you know, having being back to back all day long. I love uh, that. That that is that, and and that is really in, intentionality manifest, right? That's what you yep. did. You 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 did the you do the thing you actually want to do, not just what somebody else or something else puts on your plate. I really like that. Well, I I certainly hope that you get to do just one thing a day. But if you do, I also hope that you talk about it on Twitter more because it's just a, an, an extreme joy to see you share these things and see other people. Actually, like celebrate you. That was cool in the tweet that you sent. Like people said, "Hey, cool, awesome. congrats! That's awesome." It's the and, opposite and, of last time. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, There is a better yeah. way. And yep. uh, beyond the congratulatory stuff, there was also people just being interested in what you're doing. And yep. for, for anybody else who's listening to this right now and is interested in getting more of this, seeing which one thing a day you do for the next couple of weeks and months, sure. where should they go? Where should they follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, B Sirakowski. 
I'm sure it'll be linked. I won't spell it out for you. It's uh, <laughs> it's exactly like it sounds, but I understand that the last name is uh, is intimidating. So, but yeah, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter still way too much. Um, so if anybody has any questions, uh, uh, my favorite thing at Bear Metrics was being able to chat with customers and and like doing like customer development or sales or like really like any function support success was ultimately came down to like helping people improve their businesses. Like they wanted to grow more quickly or solve a problem. Um, it's always my favorite thing to do to help people. Like what you mentioned about, you know, kind of having that external viewpoint of like trying to help. I, I love doing that. So if anybody's listening to this and um, if you'd like to be my one thing for, for a day, I, I'd love to, I'd love to help anybody out. Um, it's just my, I always kind of turn it and make it a little bit cheeky, but it's like, it's my favorite thing in the world to like talk with somebody hear their problem, give them, you know, a solution or two or three solutions and then send them off and they have to do all the work. They have to do all the effort and I get to feel great that I, yeah. I help them. And you know, maybe they come back in three weeks and like it worked. And, you know, yeah. I get to feel great that it worked. Um, and I didn't have to do all of that work. So uh, I'm always happy to, you know, uh, even listen or, or, or uh, provide a, provide a shoulder to cry on. And if I, if I can help, um, I love doing that. That'd be a great, that'd be a great use of my, uh, use of my time right now as I'm in between uh, uh, having a having a full time gig uh, soaking up most of my time. What a what a kind offer! Thanks so much for that. That is That's just really sweet. It's my pleasure. That is wonderful. Well, I feel it from my heart. I do the same thing. Uh, helping people is the best way to just enjoy your life, I guess. And yeah. you, seeing you do this make, makes me really happy. Thank you so much for being on the show today. That was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And that's it for today. Brian mentioned something about Bear Metrics kind of flatlining just around the time it was acquired. Well, that's a pretty common story, and I think there's a way out. So let me just talk about the sponsor of this episode. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product, just like Bear Metrics at that point. You acquired all these customers, and you're generating pretty consistent monthly recurring revenue, enough revenue to invite the attention of an acquirer. The problem is you're not growing for whatever reason, either lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest, and you feel stuck. Well, what should you do? The story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down and somehow reignited the fire. You got past yourself and the cliches and started working on the business rather than just in the business. You started building this audience and moved out of your comfort zone and finally did sales and marketing the way you're supposed to, right? And six months down the road, you're tripling your revenue and everything is great. Well, reality is not that simple. Your situations may be different for every single founder facing this crossroad. But too many times, this story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business becomes less valuable or worse worthless. And if you find yourself here or your story is likely headed down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time is a really smart move here. And Acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. So just check it out. Go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. Thank you for listening to the Bootser Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, tell your friends about it, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and tell your friends about it. <laughs> Leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will really help the show. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.